runs the Ohio River. Is this an esoteric question? If not, why does it matter? Written and read for you by Tamala Rich. That's me. And I start this newsletter with a quote from the ancient Greek philosopher Heraclitus, who said, no man ever steps in the same river twice, for it's not the same river and he's not the same man. Now this famous quote is philosophically inclined, but I thought of it recently when telling a friend about a legal case between Ohio and Kentucky concerning, of all things, a boulder removed from the river. Okay, when I put it that way, it sounds ridiculous, although it's true. It's a little writerly device to keep you reading. Today, we're gonna to talk about Indian Head Rock. Geologists think the boulder in question rolled into the river from the Kentucky Hills of Sandstone before the 19th century. Someone carved what we would call a smiley face on the rock before the pioneers discovered it and attributed the face to an Indian, hence the name. Back before locks and dams, locals used the river the bound Back before locks and dams, locals used the boulder to gauge the water level by how many inches they could see over the eyes, the nose, or the mouth. The first record in the log date was November 10, 1839, when the mouth of the figure was said to be 10 and a quarter inches out of the water. Boys being boys, several initials were added over the years too. Indian Head Rock was permanently submerged around 1917 when the Ohio River Lock and Dam Number 31 was finished although it made a brief appearance in 1920 when number 31 suffered damage. The Portsmouth Daily Times reported that hundreds of Portsmouth people Sunday took advantage of an opportunity to view the famous Indian Rock, which is located just across from the waterworks plant. Many pictures of it were taken from all angles on Sunday. Did people forget about the boulder after 1920? Apparently, its memory was kept alive because an amateur historian set out to find it some 80 years later. Steve Schaefer assembled a team of divers and eventually located and photographed Indian Head Rock in 2002. By 2007, he and his crew successfully lifted the boulder from the riverbed and floated it to Portsmouth shore, where a cheering crowd of locals waited. Schaefer made a pretty speech about Portsmouth future generations once again being able to see the rock themselves and planned to place it on public display. Why in Portsmouth? The smiley face was seen from the Portsmouth side, so the locals presumably felt more sentimental about it. All the fanfare about the boulder's removal stirred up possessive sentiments in Kentucky. The Kentucky Native American Heritage Council passed a resolution in 2007 calling for the return of Indian Head Rock to its original location, the Ohio River Bottom. Then a Greenup County, Kentucky grand jury issued an indictment against Schaefer for violating Kentucky's Antiquity Act. The University of Kentucky protected it as an archeological object in 1986. Eventually, both the Ohio and Kentucky legislatures got involved until finally, cut to the chase, Kentucky got Indian Head Rock back by virtue of its original position on its side of the Ohio River.
Folks, there are lots of serious aspects to this funny little story, as its documentary film will show you, and I've provided uh, a link to it. All of these aspects involve what's doing right on principle more than the inherent value of a sandstone boulder with supposedly ancient markings. But it brings up an interesting question about who owns rivers or how you determine which side of the river something is on, who, you know, border disputes. Here's where we go. When a river separates two states, the legal boundary is usually in the middle of the river. But hold on a minute, not when it comes to the Ohio. Before the United States gained independence from its colonial overlords and before the Articles of Confederation, a good deal of the Midwest was claimed by the sovereign and independent states of Virginia, New York, Connecticut, and Massachusetts. Virginia laid claim to land on both sides of the Ohio River, all the way from its headwaters to the Mississippi. In 1784, the Continental Congress laid claims to Virginia's claim north and west of the Ohio, but the river itself was outside of the bargain. Virginia owned it. When Kentucky became a state in 1792, ownership transferred from Virginia along with the land. So at one point, Kentucky owned the whole river. When Ohio became a state in 1803, it sought greater control, appealing to the United States Supreme Court to shift the boundary line to the middle of the river. The court, however, ruled that because Virginia had owned the Ohio River originally, it should remain a part of Virginia's domain, which is to say Kentucky. By that precedent, when Virginia lost its westernmost counties to the new state of West Virginia, the river boundary went with West Virginia in 1863. In 1820, when Indiana became a state, the Supreme Court rejected Indiana's argument and again did so in 1890. The 1890 case was over Green River Island between Evansville, Indiana and Henderson, Kentucky. Now, as Heraclitus reminds us, rivers change their course as is their nature. Little channels silt up or wash away with floods and erosion. Green Island is attached to Indiana. It only appeared to be an island when the original boundary was drawn. So, thanks to the Supreme Court, Green Island is still in Kentucky. While civic pride plays some role in boundary matters, as we saw with Indian Head Rock, the real issue is money. Revenue from fishing, boating, liquor, and other licenses granted for use on any portion of the river. Follow the money. In a day when we use satellite technologies for everything, it seems quaint that original surveying techniques sometimes relied on transitory objects like the white oak post marking a boundary in the West Virginia Northern Panhandle. We still rely on old boundaries. And as we see with Indian Rock, state legislatures are loath to cede anything to another especially when the monies that go with the land are significant. Here's a quote from a story by public radio station WVXU that explains everything better than I could summarize. In 1996, in 1966, Ohio wanted the border to be wherever the low mark was, the low water mark was. 
University of Cincinnati's Brad Mank says the challenge bounced around the courts for a few years. A special master assigned to the case rejected Ohio's argument, saying it was difficult to determine where the 1792 boundary was, but it wasn't impossible. Finally, in 1980, the case wound up in the Supreme Court. Mank says the three dissenting judges argued that the border should change as the river changes, which is what happens with the Mississippi and Missouri rivers. But for the Ohio, because it's based on what Virginia gave up in 1784 and 1792, it's all based on the historical boundaries and not where the river is, Mank says. It seems awfully inconvenient, but that's what the Supreme Court said. And that's why signs welcoming visitors to Kentucky are close to the Ohio side on bridges. It's also why Kentucky is responsible for those bridges. And I've included a picture of me and my Kentucky cousin, Mary, at the Ohio-Kentucky border on the Purple People Bridge that connects Cincinnati, Ohio to Covington, Kentucky. All right, for lovers of trivia, I have loaded you up here. I hope you'll win uh, win your next trivia contest at, at your local bar. Until next time, I'm Tamla Rich for the 981 Project.